Thanks so much for listening to the weekly teaching podcast from Prodigal Church. We're so glad you're connecting with us online. If you've been listening for a while or you consider Prodigal as your home church, would you consider giving monthly to support this ministry? We're so grateful for the increasing impact our church is having on our online listeners. Thanks for being a part of us. You can discover all things Prodigal on the Prodigal mobile app, available at your app store or on our website, prodigalchurchfresno.com. Now, let's dive right into this week's teaching. I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I can't contend with you Your ways are so much higher When we pass through the fire Let Christ endure before us When you were in the wilderness In a couple weeks, we are going to be starting or kind of continuing a series through the book of Exodus. In the fall of 2018, we began a series through the book of Exodus and we made it all the way through to chapter 14 um, in five weeks. And so we always said we're gonna re, kind of dive back into this series and pick it back up again in the future. And so it seems really fitting for this season in the life of our church and in the life of our community that we dive back in and we're gonna be exploring the wilderness. And so we're gonna be going into the wilderness with the people of God. and. Uh, in two weeks, we're going to pick up this series, but a lot happens in the first 14 chapters. The first 14 chapters span 480 years, and the rest of the book spans one year. Uh, so today, we're going to catch you up on what happens in chapters 1 through 14, and we'll be ready to start this series the week after Mother's Day. Now, if you are a really good student, uh, would you over the next couple weeks, read chapters 1 through 14. You could read a chapter a day for the next two weeks and you'll be all caught up. And if you are a teacher's pet type student um, with perfect attendance and straight A's, you may even want to uh, watch our previous series from 2018. And you can find that on our app, on our website, on our YouTube site, and also on social media. And you'll get all caught up for this series beginning the week after Mother's Day. The name Exodus comes from the Greek word way out. God provides a way out. And in the very first chapter, we see that this is a continuation from the book of Genesis. So Joseph saves um, the people of Israel and puts them in Egypt and they're blessed, but 400 years go by and they're not so blessed. Uh, In Genesis, Egypt was the place of salvation, but in Exodus, it is the place of their oppression. See, the Israelites had grown numerous in Egypt, and those in power in Egypt feared that the Israelites would begin to outnumber them, and so they needed to oppress them. They needed to enslave them. Uh, They worked them tirelessly, but that didn't work. That didn't keep the numbers down, and so then Pharaoh comes up with another idea. He orders that all the midwives execute any newborn male Israelites, and it is here where we meet the first heroes in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter one, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives whose names were Shifra and Pua, if you're looking for good Bible names for your daughters, 
Pua is probably not the correct one. Probably too many jokes on the playground there. But verse 16, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not want and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the kings of Egypt, the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let, let the boys live? And the midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives can arrive. Pharaoh is asking these midwives to find some kind of way to execute these boys. Um, but the plan doesn't work out. And so Pharaoh goes up to the, to the midwives and goes, what's the deal? How come, how come the plan isn't working? And she's like, no, no, you guys don't understand these Hebrew women. They are vigorous. They're popping babies out like sunflower seeds. They're, they're giving birth before we even show up. Now, these women lied to Pharaoh. Pharaoh is not only the most powerful man in the nation of Egypt at this time, but likely the most powerful man on earth and they lied to him. This is a capital punishment in Egypt. There's an authority over them in Pharaoh, and they disobeyed and lied. They were dishonest. Was this godly? Because they could have just said, we don't have a choice. It's our lives or theirs. And so they did what Pharaoh said. But these women, Shifra and Pua, they transgressed the law in the name of love. It's, it's much like what people like Cory Ten Boom did in Nazi Germany during World War II. They would hide Jews in uh, false walls or under the floors or behind things, and they would hide them and lie to the Germans searching for the Jewish people. Is God okay with this? Is God okay with deception, even if it protects people? Shifra and Pua disobeyed Pharaoh. They risked their lives to save children. So what is God's response to them? Look at verse 20. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. God blesses them because they didn't save themselves. They lie to put themselves in actually greater danger. They lied to save others, breaking the law in the name of love. Why was the midwives lie acceptable to God? Because they lied not for self-preservation, but for the benefit and blessing of others. There are times when a rule may be broken in order to love others better. But if our focus tends toward what can I get away with? What kind of rule breaking can I do? Then our hearts are probably not fully submitted to Christ. If our mind is set on loving others, then whatever, and when we act out of that motivation, whatever we do will be in line with the law of God, whether it lines up with the letter or not. Make it your mission to love others as you love yourself, and you will fulfill the law. Love will always lead us to the right moral decisions. Pharaoh now is even more determined. So he makes it a law that every Hebrew boy that is born must be thrown into the Nile River. The Nile River was the source of life in Egypt, and now it becomes a source of death for Israel. And this is where we meet Moses, okay? This is Moses' origin story, and it is a great story. Moses' mother uh, gives birth to him, and then 
for fear of his life. She's able to hide him for three months. But when she can hide him no longer, because babies are loud and babies are crying and babies need to be fed. And so she gives him to God and she makes a basket and the Hebrew word is ark. And she places this ark with her son inside of it in the Nile River as he floats downstream. Uh, Moses' older sister, Miriam, is walking through the fields, following the basket as it goes down. She sees her baby brother. She's praying for her baby brother and she's watching. And then as the basket gets caught into some reeds, Pharaoh's very own daughter, the princess, sees the baby, realizes it's a Hebrew child, and feels sorry and takes pity on him. And Miriam, quick-thinking Miriam, she says to uh, the princess of Egypt, would you like for me to get a Hebrew mother to be a wet nurse for this baby? And uh, she says, great idea. And Miriam, who does she go get? Yeah, she, she goes get her mom. She gets her mom. The, the woman who never thought she would see her baby boy again now is able to feed her boy from her breast for the next three years and Pharaoh is going to pay for all of it. It's beautiful. Can you see the hand of God beginning to move amidst the slavery and oppression of Egypt? Pharaoh's own plan to bring Hebrews slavery and death is now being used to bring someone who's going to bring them life and freedom. And now the Bible then fast forwards to when Moses was 40 years old. We don't know what happens the next 40 years while Moses is raised in the palace. Does he, does he miss his, his, his old mom, his birth mom? Does he remember her? Uh, does he resent the fact that he's Hebrew surrounded in a palace of Egyptians? Does he fully understand all of this? We're not told the answers to any of these questions. All we're given is one incident when he's 40 years old, and it's a pivotal story and a turning point in Moses' life. We read this in verse 11. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, Looking this way and that, seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Now, what is so significant about this uh, Egyptian taskmaster beating a Hebrew? See, Moses grew up in the palace. He certainly had seen this before. Egypt was oppressing all of Israel and they worked them hard. So he saw this numerous times. What broke, what snapped in him uh, at the age of 40, that didn't happen before. Again, we're not told. And the next day we discover that word has gotten out. The Hebrew that Moses had saved uh, blabs and he tells others. Now Moses now fears for his life. Verse 15 says, when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. See, the jig is up. Gone are the tasty delicacies in the Egyptian palace. Gone is the comfy bed and the servants who waited on you with every word, every day. Gone, never again. For the next 40 years, he will live in the Midian desert. And the life of Moses can be broken up into three sections of 40. For the first 40 years, he lived in the palace of Egypt. For the next 40 years, he lived in the Midian desert. And for the next 40 years after that, he wandered with the people of Israel in the wilderness of which we're gonna be exploring um, two weeks from today uh, in our new series, Into the Wilderness. 
And so now in this story, Moses is entering the second season of his life, this next 40 years. He is rejected by Egypt, but he's also betrayed by the Hebrews, right? The Hebrews told on him, they blabbed. Uh, they didn't keep it a secret. It was difficult for them to see Moses as a rescuer when in fact he had been an oppressor for 40 years. And so they didn't trust him. He is alone. He's without community. He is wandering in the Midian, asking the question, who am I? Who is God? He spends the next 40 years of his life in Midian. And the past of being an Egyptian prince becomes the past. He slows down. He becomes a shepherd. He raises a family. This is a far cry from his palace until one day while shepherding on a path that he had traveled thousands of times before, he sees something that he had never seen before. A bush in the distance is on fire, but it is not consumed. And so he goes to inspect it. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And this, at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. A question I've always had, even when I was younger, is why does he got to take his shoes off? Right? Like it brings me back to when my parents would tell me after playing outside for hours and trying to get back inside, they would say, take your shoes off. They would yell at you. You're tracking dirt everywhere. But here, Moses is in a desert and there's dirt everywhere already, right? Like what's going on here? Removing your shoes was, was and still is a sign of reverence in the ancient Near East. Nearly all other religions have this practice of removing your shoes before worshiping. Why doesn't Christianity? Well, because everywhere we go, it's sacred. The first place that is called holy in the Bible, it's, in a, it's not a tabernacle, it's not a temple, it's not a tent of meeting, it's a patch of dirt in the Midian desert. Now, taking off shoes was a way of honoring the host. And as Christ followers, we don't remove our shoes, but we should be walking with barefoot hearts. How can you honor and bless the people at your workplace? How can you have barefoot hearts? Like from walking from the parking lot to your job, with each step you're proclaiming on the asphalt, this is holy asphalt. The, the carpet in your house, that's holy carpet. The playground your children play on, that's, that's, that's a holy playground. That's holy ground. The whole earth belongs to the Lord and his presence isn't confined to a church building. So as followers of Jesus, we walk the world with barefoot hearts, honoring God with every step we take. What would happen with the normalcy of our day if we would believe this and live this out? That every place we walk, that every hallway we take is holy ground that it's sacred and that we remember that as we take these steps, that this place is holy ground. And often when we read this scripture, we think of God asking Moses to take his shoes off because like we think of it's kind of like a barrier, right? 
He's holy, I'm not, so I need to take this seriously and remove my shoes. And I think that's true, but I think you can also see it the other way. The sandals of Moses were the actual barrier between he and God. And God asked Moses to remove the barrier between him and Moses. So the shoes were actually a literal leather barrier between him and Moses, and God says, remove those so that we can be close. It's not just keep your distance, I'm holy. It's also, let's remove what's between us. Allow your feet to be in direct contact with this holy place that I am appearing to you in. So in this holy place, with Moses' sandals removed, he tells Moses to go before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Moses gives him several reasons why he's not the man for the job. Lots of excuses. We too make a lot of excuses. God wants us to do something. God desires something. God raises up this conviction or this inner stirring within us. And we make excuses why we're not the right person, why it's not the right time. And Moses, he had plenty of them. Sometimes we think I'm too young. Sometimes we think I'm too old. I'm still not ready. I'm still new following Jesus. I'm too busy. I don't make enough money. Have you ever used the phrase, I would if I could, but I can't, so I won't? That's a tragedy. It should be, I would if I could, but I can't, so God will. That's victory. That is our call as followers of Christ. I would if I could, but I can't, so I won't. That shouldn't be in our vocabulary as Christians. No, I would if I could, and I can't, so God will. This is what we see in the life of Moses. Let me tell you the rest of the story, and you're probably familiar with it. Moses goes before Pharaoh, and he says, let my people go. And God does miracle after miracle, and Pharaoh's heart hardens. Sometimes it's God hardening his heart. Sometimes it's Pharaoh himself hardening his heart. But Pharaoh refuses to let the people of Israel go. And so God brings these 10 plagues, and each of the plagues counteracts an Egyptian deity. And it was to show that the Lord is God, that, that, that Yahweh, the one who reveals his name, I am who I am to the, in the burning bush before Moses in the Midian desert. He is the Lord. He is the one who rules creation. It's not these Egyptian deities. It's the Lord. And Pharaoh refuses to let his people go until the curse of the firstborn, the final plague. And this spirit passed over the Hebrew homes who had blood over their doorposts. And the firstborn in all of Egypt, including livestock, was gone. Moses is allowed to leave. Take your people and leave, Pharaoh says in tears, mourning the loss of his firstborn son. And as Moses and the people of Israel leave Egypt, they get to the Red Sea. And Pharaoh has a change of heart and he regrets his decision and he pursues the people of Israel and Moses puts his staff, the same staff that he had as a shepherd in Midian, shepherding sheep, uh, touching the rocks below his feet, hiking the hills. He places in the Red Sea, in the waters pass, and the people of Israel pass through on dry land. They exit, there's an exodus. And as the Egyptian army follows behind, the waters collapse on them, crushing the hope of Egyptian victory. And the people of God cross 
into the wilderness. Now, this is the pivotal story in Israel's history. The Passover is to be celebrated every year. The story to be told uh, at fire pits from from 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago on. As Christians, as Christ followers, the story doesn't end with the people of Israel passing through on dry land. No, there are countless connections between this story and Jesus. Uh, And specifically the Passover lamb. Jesus isn't just the Passover lamb. He really embodies the whole story, right? He becomes the the firstborn slain son. He doesn't show up uh, on the scene and repeat the Exodus. He doesn't go to Caesar and say, Caesar, let my people go or I'll kill your firstborn son. No, he becomes the firstborn son as a sacrifice to free people. In Exodus 12, in giving instructions for the Passover lamb, they say specifically to don't, don't break the bones of the lamb. And in the Roman process of crucifixion, which happens 1,500 years later, in order to speed up the dying process, they would break the legs of the, the victim to put all the pressure on their arms. And this is fulfilled in John's gospel, that Jesus is the Passover lamb and his legs weren't broken. Look at John chapter 19. It says, now it was the day of preparation and the next day was to be the special Sabbath because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear bring a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you may also believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. This is a fulfillment of the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb points to the ultimate sacrifice and freedom from slavery that we find in Jesus 1,500 years later, in the Hebrew culture and also in ours, bones represented someone's soul, someone's essence, someone's spirit, someone's heart. When someone is trying to communicate something, they say, I feel it deep down within my bones. There's something there that Jesus was killed, but his bones were broken. His spirit wasn't broken. You couldn't break his soul. His essence was still strong and intact. And it's still intact today. And so I feel that it's so fitting as we look at the Passover, we look at the sacrificial lamb, uh, as we look at how the blood brought freedom for Israel. Jesus' blood brings freedom still today. And so we're going to take communion together. And uh, communion is this thing that Christians have been doing for the last 2,000 years. It's called communion, the Eucharist, which means good gift, the Lord's Supper, And the bread represents Christ's body broken for us, and the blood represents Christ's blood shed for us. And it shouldn't only remember God's deliverance on the cross 2,000 years ago, but God's deliverance for his people from Pharaoh 1,500 years ago. God always hears the cries of the oppressed and leads us over our enemies into the promised land. So God, I pray in Jesus' name as we take the bread and take the cup. 
that we would remember your sacrifice, you as the pure and spotless lamb whose bones were not broken, whose spirit was not crushed, even in the midst of gruesome crucifixion. So Father, we pray in Jesus' name that as we take these elements, that you would help remind us of your sacrifice and the life of sacrifice we too are called to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Take the elements as you feel led throughout this next song. We want to thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Uh, we've got some exciting things planned uh, for Mother's Day next week. So we want to encourage you to invite your mom, invite your grandma, um, invite your great-grandma. We're going to have an amazing time together celebrating uh, moms and women. And we've got some incredible things planned, so don't miss it. Um, at 10 a.m. next week, live and in person, we've also got some great stuff planned for our online service. We can't wait to see you. Have a great week. Peace in the middle. Awesome.